Welcome to another episode of The Corporate Entrepreneur. Today we're going to be speaking about a topic, competitive obsession. This is one that very few people would like to talk about. This is one where we're going to have, I believe, a lot of comments and a lot of people upset. But the reality of it is competitive obsession is prevalent throughout our society. Let me give you a little bit of an example. How many times do you see parents who are bragging that their baby took their first steps? They say it, and it, it's good to be proud of it, but they say it to a parent whose kids are not walking yet, or the first tooth, or when the child gets toilet trained. It's okay to say it, but if you say it in front of parents whose kids are not doing it, then you're competing with them. You're saying, look what mine did and yours did not. And through those children, I must have done something right. I won, you lost. Now, you may not look at it that way, but that's what it is. Let's look at children. Children in competition. How many parents nowadays are upset at everybody getting a trophy, participation trophies? What is that saying? Only winners should have trophies. Only the people at, on top should have trophies. It's supposed to be to recognize winning. It also recognizes losing then. It's the I win, you lose philosophy. The other question is, why do you even need a trophy? What do you need that extrinsic type of reward, which is what we're training people, kids to want from early ages, to say, I won, you lost. I stand up on top, number two a little lower, number three a little lower, and everybody after that not even appearing on the stage, even if they overcame some amazing obstacles, even if they did 300% better than their last time. Just making the Olympic team is an accomplishment, but you don't reward that. No, you got to be the best. Also, kids' sports. How many parents get nuts the coaches, I have seen in my day as a coach, coaches that will go out and recruit kids just to bring them into a rec league. They'll have them say they live with their aunt and uncle just so they can play on their rec league team. Let's look at what we do with college. If you're the best, you make the money. Professional sports, they deserve it because they're the best. They deserve those millions of dollars. Those are our idols. Those who we have our kids want to be like. SAT scores is a ranking system. I'm on top. You're below me. That's how we build our society. This goes way back. It goes way back to the 1700s at least. Now, it goes way back before that. That's why you have the Colosseum. That's why you have soccer where it started. That's why you have wars. But let's just say when the country, our country, experienced fortunate circumstances, and this is the key point that we're saying, when you win and someone else loses and you think it's you who did it and all your efforts, that's competitive obsession mixed with greed and ego. So let's look at our country back in the 1700s when we started rebelling and saying, okay, we want to have our own country. Got it. In addition, we had a vast territory. We had abundant natural resources. And the spirit that was born from having freed itself from colonial masters created what is today's corporate culture. Let's take a second and think about that. As with today, people who were fortunate enough to take advantage of these circumstances had to feel superior to other people. 
people of color, indigenous people. It's our country. We separated from England. We're fighting for it. We own this land. This is us. We win, you lose. That's where our corporate culture comes from. Did the people of America realize how fortunate they were in timing? Allowed them to have the weapons, the materials, the raw materials, the situation that occurred? It wasn't all those people. They took action, but they had circumstances that allowed them to do it. When you're obsessed with competition, you don't acknowledge those advantages that you may have been born with. Go back to the 1700s and before. Now, in those days, people who were fortunate enough to be born into the right families and feel that they were on top, so I win, you lose, is part of what manifested itself in the horrific practice of enslaving human beings. The idea that corporate America is unique among companies has obviously been around for a long time. However, the concept of competitive obsession has been around since the beginning of time. Corporate America does not physically enslave people, but there is a feeling of indentured servitude and enslavement to companies when you are so caught up within that environment, many times with non-competes, being in a town where there's no other work, you really have no choice. And your management team knows it and they take advantage. And it still ties into competitive obsession where you have to be number one. So even the person who is locked into a company who feels like they have no power, when they get out to the ball field, when they work with somebody below them, they have to come out on top. This is a primal trait. It's not something that's only involved with environment. Now, for most people, there is something inexplicitly compelling about the nature of competition. This may be due to the thought that competitiveness is a biological trait that co-evolved with the basic need for human survival. If people in the early history of humankind were not competitive, they would not have survived or lived long. They would have been able to reproduce because they wouldn't be here. So based on the evolutionary process, this means that today, the competitive gene is still prevalent within our society. However, the evolutionary pressure toward competitiveness manifests itself in our day-to-day -day life with the way that we approach challenges and competitions and management within our corporations. Our need and desire to win is what makes us feel happy. This is because we psychologically feel rewarded when we win. The feeling that we won and another person or group has lost and it's acknowledged publicly by the group is what most people strive for, the acknowledgement, the recognition. In corporate America, that shows itself as stack rankings, president's club, bonuses. Now, this can be through receiving of the awards, mainly through congratulatory verbiage, promotions, as I said, president's club, stack rankings, bonuses, and maybe even high fives. In sales, it's in commissions, in operations. It could be in congratulatory verbiage, promotions. There's a lot of ways corporate America rewards the I win, you lose, I'm better, you're not, attitude of competitive obsession. It feeds this obsession. And when you lose, the feeling that we lost and another person or group has won, and it's acknowledged publicly by the group, it just feeds their ego and it feeds the people who did not do as well, who lost. It feeds insecurity, self-consciousness, fear, unwillingness to make attempts again.
So we're publicly identified as the loser. That causes a loss of respect. Listen to our other podcast about respect. It causes a loss of respect because you lost. You did not win. It can also mean lost opportunities in corporate America, job loss, less acceptance of future ideas when you want to have process improvements, and a definite lack of credibility. Now, because our competitive obsession culture endorses winning, we see many examples of winners reaping benefits and losers losing respect for their team members or by their team members and management. Now, this affects us consciously and unconsciously, which creates many issues for the companies we're employed by. So when you feel you're in the bottom of the stack ranking, now you start looking for a job. Now you start looking for ways out. The egotistic competitive management, the non-corporate entrepreneurial leaders feel, oh, it motivates them. It gets them to work harder. It's not the case. It causes them to look for ways to leave. If I'm a loser, then I might as well not even try. I'll never meet this person's needs. And listen to our podcast and read the blog post on From Zero to Hero, and you'll understand that the loser is not always somebody who's not doing their job, not working as hard. It's just circumstances. Competitiveness is not the same as a desire to win. There is a way to differentiate a person's competitiveness from a person's need to win. There is a need to perform well. There is a preference to accomplish tasks. And then there is a simple need to win. The correlations indicate that people with a strong need to win actually have poorer coping skills when compared with people who like to perform well or like to accomplish difficult tasks. People with a strong need to win this competitive obsession, tend to engage in denial and they become behaviorally and mentally disengaged when stressed. This leads to finger point neurosis, lack of teamwork, suboptimized thinking and P&Ls, and the creation of the 80-20 rule in a negative way where 80% of everything is generated by 20% of people who consider themselves winners. The other 80% acquiesce and do only what they need to do. Now, these win-at-all-cost employees, and it's not just the executives. It goes all the way to the lowest person on the hierarchical scale of your corporation. They tend to see other departments, other processes that protect the company as hostile. For example, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and these policies are put in place to protect other people so they can win and I lose. I want to win. I want them to lose. And then they go against or they change. It doesn't say that you can't rebel against bad policy, bad process, or change the status quo. It's that they always look at it as being hostile, that it's after them. Now, they also believe it's all about them, that skill is fixed. They have it and others don't. When you have a win-it-all attitude and you are competitively obsessed, you believe it's you. You got it. They don't. It makes you feel superior, causes you to lose respect for other people, and it causes suboptimized P&Ls and lots of problems in corporate. And the route to success comes from the appearance and playing the game better than others is what they feel. They think that they do it better. We're all given equal rights. Well, we're really not, depending on what school you went to, how much money you have, your current situation, if you have kids, what you did, health, and so on. But these competitively obsessed, win-at-all-cost people 
They feel that success and winning is a zero-sum game. They win, you lose, that's it. No discussion. It causes them to embarrass and put down others, ignore teammates' input, as well as mocking process improvements that may make everybody equal or put people on an equal footing and cause them not to win and the others to lose. Even if the other person does better, they don't want that because they want to win by a lot. They want the other person to lose by a lot. It causes others not to share their corporate wisdom and innovative ideas disappear. These ideas that would normally set our companies ahead of others. Why? Because if they can't implement it, if they're not going to get credit for it, if they're not going to win, and others will do okay with this improvement, and they'll win at doing this, even if it's not at their losing, they don't want it to happen. Now, there's been a lot documented in the world of occupational psychology about people with the need to win. The research shows they tend to have poorer self-esteem, tend to be less positive than people who like to perform well and overcome difficult tasks. These results are consistent with the idea that employees with a need to win tend to have a self-centered orientation, whereas people who like to perform well and who like different tasks tend to have a mutual benefit orientation. Now, you may say to yourself, but competitions are fun. They're fun if you win. Throughout history, people have enjoyed organizing competition. Everything from the ancient Greeks going back as far as 776 B.C., to American football, gladiators. But the benefits do not last if based on personal incentive only. This is why the Romans had to have constant games to distract the audience, to distract the people, because the benefits of it wear out quickly. And if it's only based on personal incentive, it wears out even quicker. A competition by its very nature is based on an extrinsic incentive, outside incentive. This means that the motivation to adopt a behavior or a decision is based on getting rewarded for it. A fundamental flaw of all extrinsic incentives is that they only tend to work as long as the incentive is maintained. Let's talk corporate America, of course. How many times do you hear salespeople, hey, if they wanted me to sell that, they're going to pay me for it. If they want me to make this change, they're going to pay me for it. Operations people, if they want me to improve this process or do this, they're going to pay me for it. It's more along the line of the sales and revenue generating corporate employees. Let's face it, executives with their bonuses are all in that position, and they will only do it if it helps them. It's not just corporate. How about in education, principals, teachers? I'm only going to reduce my cost if it gets me something in return. No, I want to keep that budget, even though it hurts the company, because it allows me to have more things over another principle. Why do high schools have more equipment than elementary schools? Because the competitive obsession of winning at sports and music allows them to get more parents to put more money in, where in the elementary schools, they do not have that extrinsic reward, that ego, feeding the competitive obsession. So even in our schools, we learn at an early age, and the systems themselves are mistakenly not taking this into consideration. In addition to the extrinsic incentives being maintained, in many situations, the competition is won at the expense of others, even within your company, group, organization, 
religious organization. Therefore, corporations across America are finding it difficult to implement positive process improvement and get their employees to do things that benefit the whole and to implement a mutual benefit culture. It's not impossible. It just takes a lot of commitment. Competitive obsession is a very dangerous foe. There's an abundance of research that shows the need to be rewarded with external ex incentives leaves no room. In other words, it crowds out and undermines an employee's motivation to embrace a mutual benefit culture. This crowding out occurs when personal gain is rationalized as helping the whole, but does just the opposite. By keeping your budget, you feel as a principal or as a department head that you're helping the people within your department, but in reality, it's just so you can have more things. You can get more accolades by the people. You can have more employees. You can feel more in control that you're better than another manager because you have more. It's that competitive obsession, when in reality, that money could be greatly used within the organization to bring in more profit, to hire more people, to do more things that would help the whole in a corporation. And when personal gain is rationalized as helping the whole, but does the opposite. Negative goal replacement, the achievement of temporary goals and waiting to get the next external reward. You get a reward. You're only going to replace that goal, that desire to do something, when you get another external incentive, a bonus, accolades, a glass statue saying how good you are, a certificate. So you wait for that. You don't create based on the situation timing. You just wait for that next reward. It causes companies to lose time, innovation, profit, process improvement. It's amazing how little we really look at competitive obsession as a problem. The finger point derosis is a disease that's caused from it. It gives birth to it. But there is a solution. When competitive obsession meets mutual benefit, the opposite of extrinsic is what is called intrinsic motivation. When we are intrinsically motivated to do something, such as helping somebody across the street, improving a process, closing a deal at a higher margin, or that really helps the customer and us, we don't always do it for the reward. We do it because we're convinced it's the right thing to do. It's not totally altruistic. It does make us feel good. It does say we are doing something today, and this activity is better than I would have done yesterday, and I'm helping somebody. So, yes, it makes you feel good. You may even get the extrinsic accolades from people as you help somebody across the street. However, you do it because you know it's right. Now, by right, I'm not referring to a vague cultural conception. Rather... I'm basing it on a mutual benefit culture as an evolved culture amongst corporate entrepreneurs. Our ancestors who had competitive obsession and had to win or else they would not reproduce, it was right for the time. But we have evolved beyond the Neanderthal. We have evolved beyond what was before. And now, as corporate entrepreneurs, we understand that we can finally implement a mutual benefit culture within our organizations. It's been shown that the ability for employees to be compassionate, empathize with others, and to care about the success of the company are evolutionary adaptive behavior traits that are beginning to show up more and more. Let me repeat that. Evolutionary adaptive behavior traits. I have interviewed many executives, cleaners, Operations people, data entry people, 
our most recent poll last month asked if people feel that they exist in a mutual benefit culture at work. 49% said they feel they do. But when asked, could corporate America have a mutual benefit culture, only 46% said they believe it's even ever possible. But the people who responded were in corporate America. So the numbers are kind of interesting. People do feel that they are living in a more mutual benefit society. And we are. It's not all bad. We are evolving. We are adapting. But it's time to move forward. This is why we have so much prejudice, racism. We talk a lot in corporate America about equal opportunities for sexes, race, creeds, colors, and giving more opportunities, bringing more people to the board. What we need to do in addition to that is we need to have a mutual benefit culture. We need to eliminate the competitive obsession that says, I win and you lose, or else these people who get promoted are going to have the same feeling and culture as the people before them. And this is proven by what happened with the hoplites, the Romans, and any other society that did have this competitive obsession and slavery concept where they allowed certain people from the slave groups to emerge and evolve. Some of them became worse than the people who were before them that were the slave owners. Not all. But what happens is if you continue with this competitive obsession, you become as bad as the people who you dislike when you're the loser. Employees can be compassionate. A psychological concept known as the helper's hide reinforces how a mutual benefit culture helps people feel good both psychologically as well as physically. In corporations that implement a mutual benefit culture, and there's many of them, this culture stimulates a helping behavior that releases this feel-good neurotransmitter. And corporate entrepreneurs refer to this as the corporate entrepreneurial spirit. When they help somebody, when they create a new process, when they do something good, they may not benefit, they may benefit, but they didn't do it for that. They did it to try to move the company forward, to make them better, to help somebody in the organization. That's the corporate entrepreneurial spirit. Remember, history shows that humans not only survive by competing, but perhaps, and more importantly, we survive by cooperating with one another, the herd, the group, society. If you try to go it alone, our ancestors would not have survived either. So the need for mutual benefit is proven as important as the need to win at all costs. Now, we need to do the right thing for the right reasons and the right time. And that time is now. We can win, but everybody else doesn't have to lose. Compete against yourself. Compete against what you've done last time and how you're getting better. Compete against the change that you're going through. Your evolution, you're adopting to these circumstances to be able to get better as a person, as an employee, as a parent, as a child, as a human being. Compete against yourself. Once again, thank you for listening. It's Mark Ellenson, managing partner of the Entrepreneurial Way Consulting Group. And we bring these concepts to corporations. We help them by doing the Entrepreneurial Way assessment. We can help you identify in your company your group, your organization, your team-building exercises, competitive obsession, and transform that into winning and competing against yourself to create a mutual benefit culture. As we say at the end of every one of our podcasts, 
Corporate entrepreneurs fear nothing, appreciate everything, and know what they need they already have.